Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb. I'm Terrell. And I'm Torrance. And today, we're dangerously likely to talk about a few of our favorite things. Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines. My fellow Americans, the war in Afghanistan is now over. In a historic move after the airlift of about 125,000 people from the Kabul airport in less than two weeks, the U.S. has ended the 20-year war in Afghanistan. The situation was not perfect. It cost the lives of 13 U.S. service members. Our hearts go out to the families and friends of them. May they rest in peace. Terrell Torrance, any final reactions to the end of the war? Finally. I mean, this wasn't pretty. It was difficult, but it was never not going to be. Um, and I think that as a generation who has he's almost only known this war and to a really frightening point, almost accepted it as the norm for our country. Um, I'm happy to see um, I'm happy to see our troops leave Afghanistan. And, and, and although it's been in a very tumultuous way, um, hopefully giving the Afghanistan people an opportunity to maybe you know fight for a revolution of their own. Um, but I think the future of of the Afghani people, the the Taliban running Afghanistan, I think that we're in for um, an unpredictable um, relationship with with the Middle East and Afghanistan specifically. But I am ultimately happy, and, uh, and I uh, commend President Biden for making the hard and very difficult decision of pulling us out. Yeah, I mean, um, I kind of alluded to this in our group, but. I feel like we're entering that 21st century version of war, right? Like, yes, troops have left Afghanistan. However, there are still active airstrikes against the Islamic, um, uh, what is ISIS-K? I'm sorry, I've kind of lost track of all the name changes in the last few um, iterations. But it, it doesn't feel like we've left. It feels like, and especially after the... Um, heinous attack on the airport it feels as though while troops might not physically be on the ground there's still tensions there and i what did i i think i said this in all caps like you can't fight a war against an adjective or a noun like we we're still experiencing the repercussions of the war on poverty we're still experiencing the repercussions of the war on drugs and i feel as though while our troops might be out and formally it feels like we are no longer at war in Afghanistan, we are still fighting the war on terror, which inherently involves Afghanistan and will probably soon involve the Taliban and um, our our denomination, our reference towards them, which to me, while it might not be boots on the ground, still feels like we are going to be in conflict for the remainder of our, our time. Yeah, I um It certainly feels like um, as we're getting out, some of the airstrikes that we had going on there felt like it kind of perpetuated it some more. But I feel like there's a lot more, like, when we look at the broad picture of things, I 100% agree with you. In this situation, I think it's a weird conundrum because obviously, like, Biden doesn't want to perpetuate the war, but also, you know, you have ISIS-K with I mean, our U.S. intelligence agencies telling us we have, there's very credible threats in like mm-hmm. almost 200 people died from the first bombing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, one of the airstrikes we had um, blew up a car of suicide bombers. And it's like, obviously, we didn't want 
more attacks to happen and that was how they figured out how to stop it but it's still like some civilians got killed with it and it just perpetuated it further and it's a weird conundrum for this specific situation but yeah i i I mostly agree with you i don't i don't know if we're going to be out of the region specifically um anytime soon in that way in other news hurricane ida is it ida Mm -hmm. In other news, Hurricane Ida made landfall in Louisiana last week with winds stronger than Hurricane Katrina. Catastrophic flooding and power outages are wreaking havoc on the region. To support those in need, uh, check out the uh, episode description for a link. Much like the Electoral College, the rules for a recall of the governor in California can result in the person with lesser popular votes claiming the win when all is said and done. As Terrell and Caleb covered last week on the pod, California Governor Gavin Newsom is currently facing a steep recall election that is to take place on September 14th. All registered California voters have had the option between mailing in their ballot or voting in person on September 14th, as the state continues to reel from the Delta variant. The recall process in California allows for a fraction of voters through a collection of petitions to force an election in an off year, often where there will be less turnout than in a normal election year. As it is put in an article from CNN, quote, the rules are many, detailed, and confusing, but the bottom line is that if any less than half of the voters who take part oppose the recall of Governor Gavin Newsom, he'll be out of office. The top vote getter of the 46 people running to replace Newsom, no matter how many votes that person gets, will be in as governor. According to, a, to Political Data Incorporated, which works with Democratic candidates, of the 1.5 million ballots that have been sent back so far, 57% of them were Democratic ballots, while only 21% were GOP ballots, according to their tracker. The odds for Newsom largely depend on turnout in this off-year September election and could have large consequences for the largest state in the union. I'm still working on the Jake Tapper catchphrase here, but um, let's go around the globe. Okay. We were convinced that the island we were standing on was Udek, which until then was registered as the world's northernmost island, said expedition leader of the university's Department of Geoscience and Natural Resource Management. These are the words of a Denmark researcher, Morten Rash, who, with a team of researchers, stumbled upon what is believed to be the northernmost island in the world just off the coast of Greenland. According to the Associated Press, the tiny island apparently discovered as a result of shifting um, patches of ice is about 100 by 200 feet in size and rises about three to four meters, what equates to about 10 to um, 13 feet above sea level, um, the university says. Currently, the researchers are reporting that this isn't due to climate change. Poland's Constitutional Tribunal is slated to make a consequential decision on legal supremacy between Poland's constitution and the laws of the European Union. Per AP, um, pro-democracy activists gathered in front of the court on Monday to decry the nefarious actions between the ruling party um, adding three new justices to this court, which is illegal um, under the Polish constitution and potentially negating a partnership and norms in the Western um, world as allies look to this view that um, the, the laws of the European Union are no longer um, applicable in Poland. Judge Miguel Angel Golis orders two ex-Guatemalan generals to stand trial for genocide charges. Per Reuters, 
as the Central American country grapples with the massacre of indigenous people during its civil war nearly four decades ago, these ex-generals, Lucas and Cajalas, um, committed more than 13 massacres and are um, associated with about 7,000 deaths. Um, the war ended in 1996 and is estimated to have killed more than 200,000 people um, while also displacing upwards of 45,000 individuals in the country. One last story. Um, I'm not sure if you all have been following some of the more personal stories out of Afghanistan as America works to evacuate people, but one noticeable story that came across my line involves a group of Afghan immigrant families from California whose travel home, whose travel home unfortunately coincided with America's withdrawal. As a sign of the chaos that was happening during this withdrawal effort, the families of Kohan Valley Union School District were um, only reported to be missing after the superintendent sounded local alarms and raised concerns, noting that these families were in the region um, and really pushed for their safe return. Um, unfortunately, according to Reuters, with an estimate of an estimate of eight families in total. Um, there's growing uncertainty involving the true number of how many families were there, and there's also deepening concern that one or two families were not able to make it to um, the final airlift as the American troops have officially left Afghanistan. And we'll be right back. All right, guys, and we're back uh, for a special culture conversation today. Um, Terrell, Caleb, and myself are just thinking, you know, with everything going on in the world, in our country, um, just like good old Julie Andrews, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my favorite things, and then I don't feel so bad. So today, uh, we're going to talk about some of our favorite things. Oh, yes, Terrell didn't love how, uh, how great that was. That's why you can hear him laughing at me. You um, help me like that. Hey, you know... We can continue to have some conversations about uh, what movies and songs, such as Sound of Music, um, have been a, a favorites in our lives. So today we're going to talk about what television, film, albums, bands, artists um, that have meant something to us growing up, why and how we think that they've shaped our worldview. Or also just, you know, from a humanity standpoint, how have they helped us through hard times? What have they meant to us personally? And how do we, you know, what parts of them do we take with us as we move through the world? So mm -hmm. um, I want to kick it off a little bit. And um, this might be a little disjointed in as far as structure goes, guys, but I think we just want to have like an open conversation. But to kick it off, let's talk about, um, let's talk about our favorite films. Um, I personally broke it down to kind of like what was my childhood favorite film, what was my favorite film during adolescence, and then kind of what was the, the, my favorite film as I've become an adult. Uh, I, so as a child, I was deeply, deeply obsessed with Tarzan. Um, and quite frankly, it had everything to do with Phil Collins because that is one of the <laughs> single greatest soundtracks of all time. Um, I mean, do you guys agree? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I would love to have been in the studio when Phil Collins was like, yes, hold my beer. I got this. This is, this is my moment. I know that there are going to be a bunch of toddlers sitting in a movie theater who won't understand the dynamics, but that album has withstood so many like just life experiences for us as individuals for the country. Um, and I still think you can you can hear him say like start singing every time you say Tarzan. So 
Yes, I agree. I'm literally hearing him in my head right no, now. No, 100%. Um, <laughs> I also believe this is where my excellent taste in music uh, stemmed from. I, I had a good ear very early on. From Tarzan? I'm going to I'm going to let you imagine that that is true. <laughs> oh, geez, Terrell, come stop your crying. It'll be all right, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a roll with the lyrics today. But also, <laughs> Probably not gonna like, stop. That movie for from a Disney perspective, right? That movie was very unique because it was one of the first times that it broke your traditional like either you have the perfect family or we never see the parents structure, right? Like Cinderella, you never see the father. You just know the stepmother. Um Snow White, you never see the parents. Like Disney had a very, very formative way of portraying what a family looked like. And Tarzan was kind of the first time that it broke that beyond Lion King, which ironically both happened around the same time of having the family be there. And then all of a sudden, like a tragedy happens and it helped process that and help you understand that and, and help you grow, but also brought in this, uh, we are the world to lean on another song perspective where Tarzan gets taken for anyone who hasn't watched this movie. I'm going to ruin it. You need to be better. Um, how, 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 yeah, there's that's yeah, what I'm saying. You, like you should have you've seen like this by now. walked through life at this point and not seen Tarzan. I mean, have you just like never turned on a television? No, on literally. Saturday? But like it, he he's adopted by this gorilla family. Right. And it helped break this di- dynamic that we as humans are this superior. We don't need to lean on. We don't need to care about like it did a lot of very influential things that maybe now the conservative party is like this is indoctrination this is this is everything we've been talking about but it's very important right and and i can understand why that'd be a formative film well i mean it was just it broke um like you said the mold but it was had more mature themes than we had seen previously um mm-hmm. and then i think that that i mean you could also connect that to the music itself is right like this is a much more mature sound for a soundtrack, I would say for a Disney movie, much less like fairy tale, much less whimsical, um, and an album that could literally stand on its own without a film, uh, but was like the perfect perfect accompaniment. So, what about you guys? What what films have you guys been into as children or through adolescence? Well, I want to know Caleb's interpretation of this. Does that mean you want to know what my film is? Yes, okay. but I also just want to <laughs> use the lyric from the song to like still. Oh, <laughs> Oh, it's been so long since I've seen Tarzan, y'all. You're killing me right now. Um, I, my childhood film, and honestly, like, I like the first three the most, but mm-hmm. Pirates of the Caribbean, for sure. I, as a kid, loved that shit. I just, like, I, I don't know, like, <laughs> I just, like, I just remember as a kid, just, like, I'd be so excited to like go see the next movie that came out. I thought it was so like, it was cr- the first one was creepy to me with the, um, with the curse of the black pearl. Well, when these movies came out, I was like, I was like five or six. For our listeners. I made a very, very noticeable face. Um, and when I explain what my childhood movie is, it will explain a lot of this. <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, I was, I don't know. I just thought that it was just, I think I, that's fair. I was as a kid, like, like I didn't grapple with the meaning of movies as much, um, and I don't know if there really is any with Pirates of the Caribbean. But there's definitely meaning to the Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, in in a way, but like I just like 
I was kind of a fan of action movies and stuff. And I just thought that Pirates of the Caribbean was like awesome. The way, all the way around. The way um, Captain Jack Sparrow uh, yes. chose love, even though he had to give up his partner, like, well, not his actual partner, but who he wanted to be his partner. Still one of the greatest moments for me. Personally. Yeah. I just like, uh, go on. I mean, I admittedly, I mean, I've seen them. I actually like you, went to the last movie like three or four times in in the theaters for whatever God knows what reason. It was like three out of a half hours long, I swear. But um, I never got, I never got into them. Like I'd seen them, I never got like super yeah. attached. Yeah, which I know it's like, it's kind of interesting though because as an adult, as I've seen them, like the the snarky, sarcastic nature of Jack Sparrow actually feels really on brand for me. So I don't know why. I don't know why that didn't like set in a lot sooner. But yeah, as as a child, I mean, as an like as a child, I actually didn't really not, like watch them. It wasn't even that I disliked them. I just didn't like pursue watching them. This was one of the films that um, actually my father and I bonded a lot over. I don't know why. I don't think he actually liked them after the the first two. By the third one, he definitely was checked out, but I was still checked in. Um, Same. I checked out after the third one, I think. Uh, I still, I watched all of them. I'm very excited for the new one that oh, may or may not happen, depending on how Johnny Depp's divorce turns out. You know what? I, I'm, I'm an advocate for it happening. But like, Same. He's trying also, to rehabilitate. Okay, but also, like, I might get called out for this. Johnny Depp was definitely a victim in this situation, and it, it should be noticed that. Oh, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, <laughs> I will. Like, Johnny yeah, Depp was, a, was a victim in this situation, and there's been a lot of information that's come out recently to prove that things have been misinterpreted by media outlets and also the inherent belief that men cannot be bullied or intimidated when it comes to sexual relationships, which is a whole other argument in and of itself. Yeah, I, I haven't like really kept up on on it. That's why I'm like, I'll, I'll just I'll just not be touching that. <laughs> Can you tell who yeah. one of my favorite actors are? <laughs> I, I mean, he was phenomenal. Yeah, in Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh yeah, I mean, he's a phenomenal actor. Yeah, yeah. And I just gotta say, like, like I just remember, like, as a kid, like, I thought like some of the coolest scenes were like when Davy Jones called the Kraken or whatnot, and yeah, and the soundtrack was so good. I was actually really upset that they killed off the Kraken. Sorry for anyone who hasn't seen it. But, you would um, have liked the soundtrack as a child. That is I still one do. thing that carries it's Hans Zimmer. Through. It's so good. That was one thing that has carried through the organs. The, yeah. Oh, the organ. Oh my god, David Jones' <laughs> theme and the Kraken theme are so good. And like, just a little side note, like I play this pirate game called Sea of Thieves, as the, some of the viewers <laughs> may know. And they partnered with Disney and brought like a bunch they of Pirates did. of the Caribbean storyline into it, and it was so good. And it just like brought me back into that like childhood, like. I don't know when a game just does something so good from like your childhood. I'm just like, uh, but I, sorry, I got to say that like I rewatched the movies, like I think a little bit last year and I kind of like as a kid somewhat missed the storyline of like Davy Jones and how the movies are actually just like such a big tragedy, even though they're cool and awesome on the surface. Yeah. And I just came, I just, I just liked them so much more because of it. It's just, it was, it's good. It's good storytelling. Some might say Calypso, right? Yeah. Uh, Terrell, how about you share with us what was your, uh, you know, favorite or most informative formative uh, childhood movie? Um, it's it's very interesting. Both of y'all coming from Disney perspectives and things. Are there synonyms too. for the word interesting in this scenario? 
No, just interesting. It's a, just it's a, interesting. Okay. And it's not a, re- a reflection of y'all. It's a reflection of me. Um, so I have, I think I've shared with y'all. I don't know if I've shared with our listeners. My parents weren't very guarded with what I watched. I tended, <laughs> I tended to watch a lot of shows with my mom. I, I started watching horror movies at a very young age. Um, so for me, one of my favorite movies as a child, there's actually two. I normally, I only listed one and noted one, but there's actually two. One very dominant memory I have is back when movies used to show used to show on NBC and um, ABC. Titanic played on NBC. Mm. I had to be in third grade at most. It was the first time it was playing on NBC. There were commercial breaks. My mom came to pick me up from my grandmother's house, and I'm literally laying on her bed like I can't leave. I'm too invested into this movie. The Titanic is the coolest thing. I then went on this whole research kick for that, but neither here nor there. Um, I think that plays into why my favorite movie and the one I remember the the most is What Lies Beneath. It's a horror movie, if any of y'all have ever seen it. Oh, yeah. I know a Zemeckis film. (laughs) I haven't actually seen it. Um, it's a, it is not a movie that a child should be like, oh yeah, this is one of the most informative things of my adolescence, (laughs) but there was such a great, it was just such a great story. Like there were so many intricacies in understanding the relationship dynamic between uh, the main character, the husband and the former spouse of the same husband. There was a weird ability that there was, there was this early sense of justice that I remember pulling from it of a lot of the wrongs were written. Um, Again, not a movie a child should like, but also I think a a common thread for me has always been water. Like growing up in Michigan, lakes are everywhere. This um, ominous being about like what lies beneath or what's in the lake or blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Um, So for me, that movie just, it hit all the right bells at the right time. Um, I know I was, I was kind of discussing a bit before uh, about like how we, we kind of were breaking this down by our age group or kind of when these movies were influential to us. Um, because I think obviously it's very clear, right? What you're interested in as a child may last a long time, but obviously like you're going to be introduced to other things as you get older that are going to become favorites for you at that moment in your life. Um, I actually very interesting, like mine was like, I had a favorite film until I found the next one and it like remained the favorite film until I found like until I mm-hmm. found the next one. And they were they were far apart, right? Like Tarzan was for a very long time. But then when I uh, saw Save the Last Dance for the first time, um, you know, as a, as a preteen, which is it's not some like fantastically well done film. But for me, as a mixed race person, I didn't see that representation a lot. I also danced. So I loved to dance. I, I loved music. Um, and this was about an interracial couple in Chicago, my mom's from Chicago. And so I just had a lot of, like, I could relate to it, mm-hmm. but I, to this day, and, and I'm starting, starting to see a through line as I'm about to say this, but the soundtrack, the soundtrack oh, is yeah. a, is a early two thousands R and B hip hop. Like mm-hmm. mm, it's so good. It's so good. So if you haven't go check out what's on the soundtrack of save the last dance. Um, and then of course, I'm just going to cover this one too. And then I, that was probably my favorite film from like age 12 until 2017 which was when i was like 23 so um when call me by your name came out which was hugely um impactful on me because of like 
the way that it's shot, um, the the writing, the acting, specifically from Timothy Chalamet, who was nominated for best um, best lead actor in an Oscar, who was the youngest nominee for that since the 1920s, mm-hmm. uh, and it was just we didn't growing up as a gay person there was just almost nothing for us there was nothing um that reflected what i was feeling maybe not specifically what i was experiencing but what i what i felt inside and kind of the pressure of all of that and call me by your name really does a beautiful way of catch of gathering the anxiety of that situation mm-hmm. and not feeling seen and wanting um to love someone and not sure if you can it just it was a beautiful film um and both of those films, Save the Last Dance and Call Me By Your Name, were just impacted me greatly. I can never look at Peaches the same. You can never look at Peaches the same after Call Me By Your Name. Cannot. Can't say but that's also you can't. Bad. You can't look at Grapefruit the same after like Good Luck Charlie. So good luck, Chuck. Good luck, Chuck. Good luck, Chuck. Um, but no, I I'm recognizing a very clear distinction between. Um, what was influential for y'all versus me. Like, uh, as I said, with my childhood movie, like it was the story. It was the way that the tensions build. It was the relationships that happened. My, one of my all time favorite films will always be the dark Knight. It's ability to mix in politics and, and the state of affairs for people and really have this, onus of what does it mean to show up and what does it mean to be relevant and just to give a real honest storyline behind a, a superhero like that movie hands down one of my favorites and at, in my adulthood which I'm going to qualify since I moved to Boise granted I've technically been a legal adult far longer than that um, Netflix has this amazing uh, movie that came out American Son with Kerry Washington. And again, it was a story. It was, it was so well done from a theatric standpoint. They never leave one location, but all of the dialogue happens there. You feel a change in the scenery, even though you don't physically leave the space, you feel a change in the scenery when a new character enters and their, their aura and their vibe and the way they carry a conversation. Um, and again, I, maybe I am truly too old for my age, but all three of these movies just carry such a distinct use of dialogue, use of understanding and, and conceptualization of where we are as a people. And I mean, American Son came out just before the pandemic really took shape. Um, so just before the murder of George Floyd and it led a lot of conversations I had with close friends um, from my high school career of what it feels like being black in America, what it feels like um, being lighter toned in America and having this, this understanding that um, while I might've assimilated for multiple years as a defense or a security reason I, will, I was always black in America and that, that always had a huge implication of who I am. Um, yeah. Well, and just the American Sun, the, the adaptation from stage to film, I think was done so beautifully because they almost didn't change a single thing. Like you said, even in the, obviously it takes place in one, in one location on stage and that makes a little more sense for like direction, but to keep it exactly the same, I think is because that dialogue 
and the narrative carries the entire thing. Mm-hmm. I think that, like that the filmmakers made such an excellent decision with just allowing that to do what it had done successfully on the stage, which is send the message that was that was needed. I think for oh man, for me, like when it comes to like like films that I liked when I was growing up, like yeah, I already mentioned Pirates of the Caribbean. But the next couple are like more of an ode to Christopher Nolan than anything as a director. Like I just remember when like Inception came out, I I vaguely remember watching the trailer or seeing it on TV with my dad. And we were both like, what is this? And then watching the movie and my idea of what it was from the trailer was just so completely blown away from what that movie actually was. Absolutely. And like, I still, I've watched that movie probably like 20 to 30 times and I still see things that I missed on the previous watching. And I just like, I love one of my, one thing that I do um, when I'm like trying to focus on something or whatnot, I have this whole playlist put together and it's just random soundtrack songs from like a bunch of different movies that I love the soundtrack from because like you Torrance, I soundtracks are like a lot to me and especially in a movie especially when they are able to with the scene itself elicit like feeling and whatnot and that sound work and everything and inception the very final scene that kind of leaves you on the edge a little bit um everybody was like mad that it ended that way but that's not really the point of the movie to me Mm -hmm. but that last that last um soundtrack song that overlaid that whole scene like honestly would bring me to tears multiple times when I was young and kind of moving into adulthood. Like when inception came out, I just like became addicted with like movies like that because it was just not something I'd ever seen before. And when interstellar came out, I was super pumped, saw it in theaters and I've, I've seen that movie like 20 to 30 times since too. I just think I just, I wrote, first of all, I love the idea of space. And like interstellar travel is really interesting to me. And just the way that movie's put together and the soundtrack to it as well is just like matches every scene so perfectly. And uh, I don't know. I just like it's beautiful. It's hard to it's like so put into words how exactly how beautiful it is for me. I, I cried watching Interstellar the first time. I mean like Same. just like 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 almost awe cries, right? Like not like not like emotional gut wrenching, yeah. but like literally just like what like how intense is what I'm watching and what I'm feeling and being like, and oh, yeah, no, Interstellar is incredible. It's one of my favorite films as well. Yeah, no, I mean like like also Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, <laughs> there's two <laughs> there's two scenes in it. Um, the first scene uh, when they get back off that one planet and it was so close to the black hole that the time relativity, the time slippage, mm-hmm. like. The, by the time they got back to like the shuttle, like 20 something, they were there for like three hours and 20 something years on earth. Like, I think it was like 23 years on earth passed away. Yep. And they like, like Matthew McConaughey is the main character. Cooper is like watching the films of his, of his kids. And it's like everyone, they're like a few years older. And there is like this really gentle kind of music playing that kind of adds to the emotional moment of things. But then like when it gets to a certain kid that didn't talk to him for a long time, um, the music completely stops and he's just bawling. And mm-hmm. that scene was just so powerful to me. And it's like, I don't know, like interstellar to me was just a movie that, that even though I, it's never really something that I don't know if it was thought about beforehand or whatnot, me as someone who's not very old, but <laughs> I just felt like that human emotion and connection, like it can just like be transformed through space and time 
and that's what that movie was like kind of about it like yeah there was a lot of like we need to save humanity and stuff but it was just so much more than that too well and there's it is it needs to be noted jessica chastain's performance in those in those exact clips that you're referencing playing his daughter as she gets older um yeah i i I don't forget about that i I, but whenever i talk about interstellar i'm reminded about how like much it really like was hugely impact impactful on how i look at films i mean yeah yeah, that was like an eye-opening experience as well yeah, I clearly don't belong in this conversation because the only thing that stood out for me with Interstellar, it, in my undergraduate <laughs> career, I got I was very fortunate to be able to meet Kip Thorne and talk about the actual physics behind all of this and the fact that um, Christopher Nolan went out of his way to connect with a physicist to truly understand relativity and to ensure like when they portrayed a black hole that's what a black hole would look like to make sure that time made sense so for me like yes all of the pieces the acting was great matthew mcconaughey a plus but for me the the intriguing part granted this conversation happened before i saw the movie so that probably plays a lot into this but um the intriguing part for me is the fact that that's probably the most accurate depiction of space and time that i will get to see unless I'd stumble upon two plus billion dollars and can be the next Jeff Bezos and fly to space. So like for me, like, yeah, Make cool. Sure to thank all your employees for getting you there. Oh, absolutely. I will thank every single one of them. Um, but for me, like the acting was great. I, I anticipated that as a Christopher Nolan film, I was more intrigued by the fact that they did the work to understand here's what this would look like and feel like and how it would happen. And but that's a part of good filmmaking, like right. Yeah. That intention, that intention is a part of good filmmaking. And Caleb, you know, I, before we close out the the film portion of this, I want to make sure to mention because I actually am very into music scores, and I listen to them while I study and work as well. Um, and Nicholas yeah. Bertel is a composer who mm-hmm. who he composed Moonlight. He composed did the oh, score for Moonlight If Beale Street Could Talk. Um, he did the he did he does the Succession. Um, oh, uh, uh, yeah, that yeah. whole so soundtrack you, I listen to it all the time. Yeah, if you have Nicholas Bertel, like I actually just listen to him as an artist and all the things. It, oh my God, the Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk uh, scores are beautiful, are gorgeous. Like you have to go listen to If Beale Street Could Talk score after this. You will not. Okay. Uh, agape, Agape. Listen to that first. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm also, kind of a nerd on scores, to be honest. Yeah, no, me too. I, I'm also like. Hans Zimmer also is like has a place in my heart too. I just think he makes some. I mean, some of my favorite, like literally my favorite movies here. He's done all of them. But um, before before we move on, just really quick, like yeah. you you brought up Dark Knight as one of your favorite movies. That's it's a like Chris a, Nolan film. I know it's an honorable mention for me because like, first of all, amazing movie, and you're right, the political factors and whatnot. But like, also for me, like, I feel like superhero movies today are like dominated by the marvel kind of like unfortunately i would agree i mean it, they're they're fun to watch with friends and stuff yes. and i don't they think they're the worst yeah well they play up comedy and you know they're gonna win even if one movie ends badly and like the dark knight specifically in that trilogy like you never really get the feeling that anyone's winning and nobody does at the end of it spoiler but <laughs> um very yeah. dc though very DC. I just, yeah, no, that's very the theme of DC. Very DC, but also like I just don't but feel like honest. you get to 
I feel like there's not a ton of movies that you get to see that really question what a superhero actually is. Yes. And I feel like the dark Knight was one of those and they did it through forces like the Joker. And I think one of the, everyone talks about like Heath Ledger's Joker performance, which was phenomenal. The greatest Joker of all time. Absolutely. <laughs> but one of the like storylines in it that I thought was actually one of the most powerful was the story of like Harvey Dent and Two-Face. Yeah. I thought that was phenomenal. And like, like one of the only other movies that like is kind of Marvel, kind of not that does that is like Logan. And in Logan, oh my God, I forgot about Logan. Honorable mention for me. Yeah, Logan. Logan's a really good one, and the soundtrack of that like is good. But they do That's like that movie made me emotional a little bit just because it didn't feel like a superhero movie. But also, they would use the soundtrack in a way where when it came to like incredibly emotional moments it would just disappear it would just be like what the background sound was yeah. whatever scene they were in and it was just i don't know that use of like sound and stuff can just be so powerful and used right and i thought logan did that so correctly that is the last movie i cried at logan make the same i explicitly remember <sighs> i don't even have that second... much of a connection to wolverine <laughs> that made me ball okay one story before we transition i swear torrents i know you're like i'm ready um <laughs> so fun fact when i was younger um i don't know if this was an exhibit i i don't remember this but i have a very very close relationship to x-men specifically mm-hmm. um for the listeners out there i come from a very weird background where at one point in time i um had wealth as a family and then transitioned out of it but one of the explicit things that come out of that and the reason that i cried during logan is um my father somehow or another was connected with one of the comic book artists for x-men and somewhere in my bookshelf back at home there's a comic where i am an honorary x-men where uh, there's a whole storyline the x-men are saving new york um i i think if i remember correctly it's been a long time since i've seen this um i'm like in the middle of the street like whoever the bad guy is at that point in time, I like stand up against them and Wolverine like grabs me and shoves me off all the things. And then I become an honor. Yeah. Um, so I actually started crying in the movie theater because of how that, that movie went and also just like my weird connection to them. So yeah. Honorable mention. Thank you for bringing that up. I gotcha. Oh, that's cool. I like that. That's cool. Um, I, so as we transition to television shows, I think that, um, as a huge like TV and film fan, this is one that like, I, I, same with film, it was hard. It's hard for me to like even attempt to narrow it down right to a single, um, favorite. And and especially with this, um, category, it feels like something that's constantly changing as I'm exploring and, and, and taking in new content. Um, and like, you know, I'm just going to like touch on like my childhood one. Like I was a huge, huge Rugrats fan. Like, I mean, I love Tommy, Tommy and Dill Pickle. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, but I just like, I just, yeah, I loved Rugrats was always obsessed. I can remember a childhood toy I got that like was little uh, Tommy Pickle shooting, shooting Reptar uh, treats yeah. or whatever. Um, but like more, more impactful and influential on me like very influential um are one tree hill which is um has long been my favorite television show i was way too young when i started watching it but i watched all nine seasons live on television and then have watched them all again like nine times through on, on netflix and streaming um and it 
I don't know. It, in a way that the other, I think, teen dramas at that time weren't depicting, it was much more real as far as the type of people on it. As whereas like OC was very glamorized, right? Like the rich and the hot and the famous, right? Whereas like Tree Hill takes place in a normal town where there's like, yeah, like there's class levels, but like they're realistic class levels, right? Like the dad's not, you know, some multimillionaire. He just owns a car dealership, which is like very reminiscent of my own hometown. Um, like one of my, you know, great friends, dad did own a car dealership. And so- it was just something that was really relatable um, in a way that I think, you know, some of the other ones weren't, but also, I mean, yeah, it was very soapy, but like the things that they were dealing with, the dialogue that was taking place, I think was much ahead of its time as far as like re- realism goes and like talking about feelings mm-hmm. um, and, and expressing feelings. And then of course, um, through uh, you know high school, college, and then as an adult where I've become really, really obsessed with it is the West Wing, which I think people on this podcast would not uh be shocked by any means i'm a huge aaron sorkin (laughs) fan i love the west wing i love the newsroom Uh, i think that he is one of the more uh prolific uh political writers and screenwriters of our time um but the west wing if you haven't watched it do yourself a favor on a bad day um because it is so excellently written and acted i mean it was sweeping the emmys for best drama for years like it it has like six or seven and um uh, Emmys for for it, and there's only seven seasons, so an, an excellent show. Um, gentlemen, wh- wh- where are you guys at? I would just like to point out that the main character in the OC was a foster child. So before you, well, that's true. Yes, Ryan or... was, and I did watch the OC. I watched. I I, was, I did watch it. It was better than One Tree Hill, but that's just me. I did see that you had listed that as <laughs> one of your favorite shows, and I was. A, I'm a fan of the OC. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I watched the OC too. Um, uh, big summer and Marissa fan, uh, oh, but Marissa. but it, but in a way that like, I was explaining, right? It's different. Yeah, like I that is. was escapism, right? Like it was like oh, 100%. I mean, like how you know flipping cool is their you know privileged life, but it was like never truly relatable in the way that One Tree Hill just looked a lot more like my life did. Yeah, no, I definitely get that, and uh, as I alluded to, my life at one point in time did mirror a little bit of the OC. So for me. Yes, it was escapism, but also I'm like, ah, I can understand why this is a, a big issue at the time. Again, far too young to be watching these shows, but... Yeah, yeah I mean, way too young. <laughs> we were way too young. The OC and Degrassi stand out from a childhood perspective because... Young Aubrey Degrassi, Graham. Especially Degrassi. It was more like a young Drake because I knew Drake <laughs> before he was what he is today. Um, but that was the first show in my life that depicted homosexuality. There was a main character yeah. who comes out and um, it did not go well in my family. I actually was banned from watching Degrassi because of this. And I would literally, I'm an only child and my parents would go to bed at a certain time. Like I would just stay up later and I had a TV in my room. Again, very much showing my privilege at this point in time. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so, uh, for me, I don't know if it's so much the show or the rebellious side of of things, but like that was just the thing. Like I remember that being one of the hills I would die on of, no, I don't care that there's a, a gay character in the show. Like I like the storyline. Also for context, one of my honorable mentions was All My Children because my grandmother watched it. So soap operas, huge part of my life. Um, oh, I, 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 we've talked about this. I yes. I watched As the World Turns, again, way too young with my way mother every single day <laughs> for <Which> years. <laughs> I think is also what made me angry because Bianca and All My Children is one of the 
first LGBTQ characters in the history of television, specifically daytime television. Um, And then also All My Children had a huge part in normalizing, normalizing, not the right word, um, speaking to the AIDS epidemic and not portraying it as just a gay character. It was actually a heterosexual character who contracted AIDS from someone else and died on on television that began having that conversation. So why my father decided Degrassi was the hill he wanted to die on when I was already watching another show, I digress. But all of that to say, Degrassi, the OC, the originals, for whatever reason, I don't know, I fell in love with Krauss and the family. Um, Madam Secretary, but I think for me, the, the one show that just carried through and I'm sure listeners are probably going to catch a theme here, um, was Scandal. It's my go-to show to watch when I just need to like tune out the world, just watch it over again. Very similar to yourself when you watch Interstellar and Inception, you pick up new things. Um, For me, Scandal, I'll catch like, oh, there was some significant foreshadowing to what's going to happen in four more episodes. Um, But also- Can we please get into this for a moment? Because, like, we agree on something deeply, and, like, that's new. Um, So so we should explore it. Like, you're like, you know, I'm a huge, like, I'm also a Scandal fan and a, like, huge Madam Secretary fan. Like, huge. Like, currently rewatching it with Jake. The episode of Madam Secretary is by far one of the cutest episodes in the history of time, and it gave me everything I needed without it being performative, which doesn't It it was so well done. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, that's, it's not a spoiler. You will be very happy if you watch all the way through. Okay. The last episode is perfect. And to that, and to that specific point about like all my children and like the storylines that were shown, that was actually why I started watching as the world turns is because there was a uh, Mm -hmm. teenage uh, gay couple of the main, one of the main families in the show. And like, it was mind boggling to me, like mind boggling that it existed. And I was like, I have to take in this content. Like I was searching. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a theme right with us too. Like there was, we're just like looking for any semblance of like being seen on screen, any representation Mm -hmm. of people who were experiencing what we were feeling inside and weren't sharing with the world. Like, Oh my God. Yes. Love as the world turns. That's why scandal uh, always shines through. Like, well, I might've listed out when they impacted me, like scandal stands out for me because there is a strong black female lead in Scandal. It is yes. undeniable. And there weren't a lot of other shows on ABC and the main networks that could do it. Yes, I could have gone to BET and watched the Wayne Brothers and watched the Jamie Foxx show and, and those type of spaces. But Scandal was a moment where, and I can be called out via email or anything in this, but Scandal was a space where African-Americans moved from the comedic space, the we're telling our family story space to, we are in the White House. We are chief of staff. We are doing this. Also, this is happening while we have our first African-American president. So for me, like you mentioned, representation was a huge thing from a TV perspective, but Scandal specifically, one, played into my inherent political love, but also broke this huge barrier that I felt like had been carried throughout media for far too long. And Kerry Washington did that thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> we Torrance and I just took up all that space. What you got, Caleb? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Let's hear it, that's, Caleb. <laughs> that's okay. Oh, I when I was a kid, I watched The Fairly Odd Parents all the time. That was my show. show. My mom watched it with me a lot. <laughs> uh, my sister watched it. It was 
it was on all the time for a few years in my household. Um, but I also want to like for the childhood before I move on, I also want to do a special shout out to Avatar The Last Airbender because I did watch that as a child, but I didn't like realize the significance of that show until I rewatched it um, like last February or something. That show is like truly wanted. I, I just the storyline of it is so much more like nuanced and mature than I ever saw it as a kid. It's one of those shows where, like, as a kid, you can watch it, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, cool, Avatar The Last Airbender, yeah. And then if you watch it later on, you just kind of realize how, like, actually, like, I don't know, like, how adult it is. It's very, there's a, there's actually a lot of things about mental health in it. Um, friendship, too, of course. It's, it's mostly a happy show. And just, but, like, some of the dynamics of it are just very... Um, I don't know. I was just so shocked when I watched it like six months ago and I, I still love it. Um, You're not the first person I've heard like say that actually about Avatar, mm-hmm. especially when it got on streaming this past year during the pandemic and it like was at number one for like weeks because everyone was rewatching it. Like I had a couple of friends who were kind of digesting and processing that same new lens that they had on the show that they weren't seeing as a child where it was just kind of entertainment, but like understanding mm-hmm. the, the true like maturity of the narrative. Like I think that that's, when, when that happens, I think that that's what really um, allows a show to stand the test of time is where it can be universally um, appreciated both as a, ch- as a child and as an adult for different reasons. Oh yeah. No, I, I could see myself already rewatching it in several years from now, but like, I don't know, even like, I know I keep going back to this as well, but most specifically in the last, like the last episode is like two hours long and it's just like four episodes merged together to be a movie the last episodes. and yeah i it is really good because it, it's like the the final battle the yeah. storyline and whatnot but like the one of the most significant storylines to me is the fire nation azula versus um oh my god what's his fucking name why am i forgetting it right now um the prince yes no i know who you're saying zuko yes um one of the most like prominent storylines of the whole thing was Azula versus Zuko and like they both completely like switched positions by the end of that season but they were like sister and brother when they had to fight it out and the soundtrack specifically for that moment is like one of tragedy and like it's epic and like as a kid you watch it and go like holy crap but like they muffle the sounds of like their fire bending and stuff and have the soundtrack as the dominant thing that's going on in both like Azula's like dipping into this like completely crazed like kind of an ode to mental health kind of just completely devolved from like season one to season three and Zuko is like overcome that um based off all the trauma he had as a child and they're both fighting it out to a battle that should have never happened and it's just so fantastic anyways um no no I think that's I I wanted to point out like are you seeing a through line which like for all of us which is probably not a shocker for listeners like (laughs) how music is huge so impactful to like all of our experiences like across both film and obviously Mm -hmm. music in general Mm -hmm. but like how it is driving our connection to those things I feel like that's more y'all stories mine but I'll buy it actually if there's one thing that like music wasn't a big driver it was probably the next one when I was I don't even know when this show came out but I know I was a teenager still House of Cards. Oh, and great show. I know I know that's a bit problematic now. <laughs> great show. We I will I'm bringing this up in my tangent later, but we need to there there can be separation. Yeah, I agree. I 
I agree, Jamie, you can't stop liking something when you liked it before the scandal happened. Yes. Like, I mean, what do you? Oh, when I got, I didn't like it. I was lying. Like that's just not true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I. I don't know. Like I don't know if House of Cards was a formative show, but it it came at a time when I was starting to get into politics, and honestly, it's probably the driver of why I like my next favorite show, which y'all will hear in a minute, um, is Succession. But like House of Cards is like this big political but very power dynamic, and honestly, like kind of is evil the right word i'm just like oh, it's very up. very dark it's show pretty fucked and, up yeah yeah and i like i don't know like music actually doesn't come on a big piece on the show i just don't really remember the soundtrack that much like actually what i remember it is like the symmetry of the shots that it had more than anything like it was very uh, it was a really beautiful show like if you just look at the filming of it mm-hmm. but and honestly like after season two i thought season one and season two were like I had never seen anything like that when I was a teenager. And I just thought, I was like, holy shit, like this show is incredible. And I thought it actually dropped off a little bit after that. Yes. Um, like it could have ended on season two and been fine. But um, it was super that, performance driven. What? Super performance driven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The performances in that show. Like, I don't know. I just like, I. I don't know. It, it only drove my interest in politics more. It didn't give me a bad or a negative view necessarily of politics or anything like that. It was just like something I hadn't seen before. And I was just so intrigued by it. And I just kind of came to realize that I just really like those like heavy power dynamic shows that are political. And ugh. anyways, um, moving on to adulthood, my favorite two are Succession and Watchmen. And Succession... Still need to read that book. Is, yeah, it's so good. Succession is like like House of Cards in terms of power dynamics. Um, this one's more of a family-related uh, power dynamic mm-hmm. um, on top of like... Uh, in It's kind of based off... It's based off several wealthy families, but most of all the Murdochs who own like Fox News and whatnot in real life. Um, but the show itself is just... I just don't have any other words other than it's brilliant. The um, soundtrack is phenomenal. Um, It's like this old company that's kind of like, honestly, it reminds me more of Walt Disney of anything in real life, but it's this old company that's huge, just a massive company. And it's just like old time power and wealth kind of meets more of the modern era. And the CEO is like this old guy and he is like, four children and they're all like jockeying kind of for power, but they all are super insecure and just completely traumatized by, by their family that they had growing up and even out. And it just leads to just, it's, it's funny, it's dark. And I've never heard dialogue like that before from a show mm. um, actually. But um, I also have to I say, I just started succession myself. So, oh man, it's third season's yeah, coming out. I've been waiting two years. There's a really good, um, I think, New Yorker article about it, about like the director and whatnot. I'll send it to you okay. when you're done with season two. I didn't get into it. Sorry. That's okay. You don't have to. Not everyone's going to like it. But um, the other show is Watchmen on HBO, which like made me kind of jump into a world of like the original Watchmen comic, which is fucking phenomenal. In, like, way too like i don't know it came from the 80s and their whole intent with the original comic was to not like you couldn't make it into a movie or a tv show and of course Zack snyder tried to make it into a movie and (laughs) honestly like some people like 
the movie, but the movie is utter shit, except for some of the scenes that he copies directly out of the comic book, which I thought was cool. But um, Watchmen, the HBO show, is like more of a, a sequel to it than anything. And I just don't think you can... I'm not sure you could ever make a show the nature like from the nature of Watchmen like that ever again. It's just so phenomenal to me. And there's just so many different dynamics and it's weird, but the weirdness of it like reflects on like what the world is. And it was super informative. I mean, about, you know, historical events. And of course um, our queen Regina King killed that performance as well. Earning her an Emmy. I love her. Oh my God. Yeah, no, fantastic show. If you watch it, um, you will probably not understand it like me, but I was so intrigued by it that I just had to dive into that world a little bit more. I just need to read the damn. I think you'll like it. I will. It's it's weird. It's really weird, but it's so like reflective of the time it was from. And even today, honestly. Yeah. And I also have the misfortune of watching the movie, which was not good. Um, Also having (laughs) the the annoying implications of Sin City, which happened around the same time as Watchmen and also had the very same tone as Watchmen because mm-hmm. they were both noirs and they both tried to do this. We're going to be black and white, but use color in an effective way to tell the story did not work for either of these movies for anyone listening. Um, so I think for me that that's been the, the, I won't say hesitation, but the issue of, uh, do I need to watch this? I've kind of already seen the movie and didn't like the movie, but, just like a like a super quick rundown on like what Watchmen is like it's basically asked the question just like I kind of talked about earlier with the Dark Knight but way more to the point of like what is a superhero and if they actually exist and it goes into like each like like all the superheroes in it don't have any powers um and then it's just really based off what they think is morally right but is that actually morally right like everyone's idea of that is different and there's some really fucked up shit that happens between some of the characters in it. And it's like, it's like on the outside, people still think that that person is a superhero, but like, even though they do good things on the surface, doesn't mean they're a good person. And it's just very interesting. And then there's one like entity that does have a superpower. And he's just like this apathetic God that doesn't really give a shit what happens. Hmm. And that's like, I mean, there's a lot more to say than that. That's like a very like simple way of putting it. Um, that probably leaves out a lot of nuances and dynamics. But like the one person that like could be a superhero like isn't one in the in the book, and it's just very fascinating. Well, I feel like I mean, if you aren't, uh, if you are like interested in that kind of show, I don't know. I was going to mention it earlier when we were discussing DC, um, but Jake and I have just recently caught up on DC Titans, and Is that good? I think that. that- yeah, I think it's pretty good. And I think that it also plays with that like notion of um, like what is like the real human clear eyed lens of looking at a quote unquote superhero when it, when, it, when it comes down to like their actual actions, motivations, who they are as a person outside of these heroic moments. I think that if you um, if you appreciate that, which I think you kind of alluded to in your in your um, in the dial in your dialogue about the Dark Knight, I think that you should. 100 percent it's on my list give give it a watch yeah i think i think you would like it i'm currently watching the animated harley quinn show and it's the whole show's a meme also great fucking funny also great holy shit i'm a dc fan so i'm very biased (laughs) here and i'm not gonna add too much opinion but 
DC is just better than Marvel. It's like an Adult Swim show, and I love it. Yes, I'm not having that debate, but I also am just becoming acquainted a little bit more with DC, so we'll have to see. Well, it's better than Marvel. Before we move on, and I know I know we've been talking about this a long time, but I agree with you, Terrell, and also like because I do think DC is better than Marvel, but the stories of the of the superheroes I think are just a lot more like relevant to today yes. than Marvels. I like like at first. At first, like, I thought, like, Batman and Superman and whatnot are, like, these characters that are, like, oh, like, superheroes, you know? Uh, oh, kick ass. Awesome. <laughs> and, but, but, like, the Dark Knight, like, completely changed my outlook on that. Mm-hmm. And especially with, like, the new Joker film um, that came out a couple years ago and stuff, like, a lot of, like, the DC, like, villains and supervillains, like, the Joker and Harley Quinn are arguably one of the most, like... I don't know if impactful is the right word, but they're, I think they're some of the biggest supervillains of all time. And none of these people actually have powers. Like their stories are more about mental health than anything at all. Mm-hmm. And that's yep. what's like, their stories are just so much more deep to me. And I don't know. That's why I like DC. No, I can more. certainly, I can certainly respect that. Yeah. So as I'm sure you guys have noticed, we have not gotten to uh, talk about music as much itself right we've talked about it in association with uh, the films and television that have been impactful to us um but we do want to give that uh, it's due time to talk about the albums about the songs the artists and bands that have uh really impacted us so we're going to call this part one uh, of our entertainment and culture uh conversation around our favorite things and we're certainly going to have a part two um but we'll be right back after this I feel like we've already gone on tangents about all of our interests, but I really have something I want to talk about specific to entertainment. So, Caleb, take us on tangent. Oh, so it's all about you? <laughs> yeah, of course. Cool. Um, mine will be quick. I'm just like, I'm just really like annoyed, as usual, by Republican talking points and messaging <laughs> points, specifically around Afghanistan. It's like everyone, first of all, you have like the absolute crazy part of the far right wanting to impeach Biden over this, which is just absolute fucking stupid. But you know, if they took the house back, they would probably try to do that. Um, and the other part of this is like, you have a lot of these Republican politicians and even some ex-generals that are like, Biden's decision was wrong and like we should have stayed. And it's like, wait, so instead of getting out of Afghanistan, you would have stayed for who knows how much longer with, I don't know, like what, several thousand troops at least. Mm -hmm. And we would have just put more Americans in harm's way for what reason? Like, we're not like, I, I, yeah, we lost. (laughs) And, and that's okay. We need to, I don't know. Like obviously Biden could have, done better with um the visas and getting everybody out and whatnot although i will say his fault he in two weeks he got over a hundred thousand people out of there which was that's pretty good but i mean not give him that much well also hunt but facts are here right facts are the the facts are that twice in april twice in june three times in july and twice in august they the state department was putting out information and reaching out to americans to tell them to get out as things were going yes. to get worse and people did not at the pace that they should have so yes. could we do better yes but there's i mean there's not there's not zero fault on actual individual americans who weren't taking yes. the opportunity or heeding the call to leave the country this was a war-torn country you're going to pull out there's no clean withdrawal out of a war especially when it lasted 20 years so i mean you know at the end of yeah. the day look at the story i covered in above the fold it was a it was immigrants from Afghanistan in California who chose to go back home, which is their right, 
just before we withdrew. There were already advisories out. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. Yes, there are a lot of things that should have indicated to some Americans this wasn't the smartest choice. But also, I don't want to give the president too much like credit here because it was the rank and file. It was um, members of the State Department. It was the State Department that rushed through those visas, that did the, the leg work. He just gets to be at the podium. So, Yeah, again, I, I don't think Biden necessarily gets a free pass. Like, obviously, the situation turned out to be pretty terrible, and it could have been it feels like it could have been better, yes. but to be truthful, I'm not sure. Even if we had a plan, things are unpredictable over there. Mm-hmm. We don't but, know what but it expectation and reality are often, you know, two different things and misinformed. Yeah, and I just think the idea that like staying longer would have been good, like 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 don't we remember that there's like a ceasefire? Like the Taliban wasn't like shooting our troops because like we were going to be out by a certain date. Like, that's why we haven't had casualties. It's just unrealistic to stay. There's no reason to stay and further put them in harm's way. Thank you, Trump administration. But I also, like, I don't know, like, I just think that in, like, a decade, we're going to look back and... This was a I, smart decision. It was a good decision. Mm-hmm. I, I think it will be seen that way in the future, even though... I mean, like, what? Media doesn't even talk about the Afghanistan lives that were lost, too. Like, I don't know, just just like some of the messaging around this and like the narratives are really frustrating to me. But I really do think that in a few years time, it's actually going to be one of his accomplishments in his yep. administration. In the, immortal, in the immortal words of Cardi B, what is the reason? Torrance, take us on a tangent. Yeah, um, my my tangent today is, is sort of personal in a way, actually. Uh, I think obviously I've shared I grew up with eight siblings, one of nine kids. My parents were both working class. We struggled, um, come from a low-income family, and um, thanks to you know some government assistance that helped us when I was a young kid, my parents were able to you know feed us and put clothes on our back um, because obviously in any condition, raising nine kids is not a, a um, easy financial feat. Um, but I was, I was really specifically peeved uh, most recently with this news out of uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin, um, where their school board decided to forego and not accept the federal funds um, from a federally funded program that was responding to the pandemic last year in which um, all uh, public school students would eat meals for free at school and they were going to reject that funding. And um, the president of the school board said that, um, well, one of the members, excuse me, of the school board, Karen, (laughs) interesting, Karen uh, Karen, uh, Rajnicek said that the free program made it easy for families to come be, quote, become quote spoiled um and that a the assistant superintendent for business services said that he feared that there would be a quote slow addiction to the service um and what i say to that is quite frankly explicit fuck you the idea (laughs) that any person in public service specifically someone serving on a school board could utter the words slow addiction to feeding children and become spoiled to feed children while they get an education is disgusting they are despicable human beings and uh the extent in which the privilege is being shown here that they think somehow it is the willful um, negligence of parents to not want to pay for food for their children to eat at school is ridiculous is absolutely ridiculous and quite frankly um shame is not a strong enough uh feeling that these people should be feeling. They are disgusting by any standard of the word. And quite frankly, across this country, um, again, I've had this conversation many times about what our policies mean. And if people think that feeding children is about um, 
about laziness, about becoming addicted to, to federal services just need to reevaluate their life. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I seriously actually can't find the words that would, that would, I think, measure what I'm feeling other than complete disgust, but it's fucked. What is wrong with people? You know, just what, what the fuck is wrong with people? Children, whether or not you, what you think of their parents, children have nothing to fucking do with that. They need to get an education and they need to be well-nourished end of story and how we, and how we take care of that and how we address that says a lot about who we are as a country. Yeah, it's literally basic needs. Like, Jesus Christ. Terrell, take us on that tangent you've been uh, so excited to tell us about. Um, honestly, I kind of wish I could jump on each of y'all's because there's aspects and pieces that are there. Specifically in Afghanistan, I'm really annoyed that media coverage isn't talking about the fact that the president of the state fled the country and left his people to defend for themselves he he made the evacuation of american lives from afghanistan chaotic while we enjoy placing bright placing blame on presidents and doing those pieces it's very hard for me to understand how this individual was able to flee his country and yet escape any type of accountability or retribution when for 20 years, American, uh, the American government was in the state building up the government that exists and pushing them to come to a peace agreement and not being able to do so. Additionally, um, completely forgot about this story, Torrance, and appreciate you for bringing it up um, until you mentioned the, the point of we don't want children to be um, addicted to uh, handouts or whatever the superintendent said. Um just a general frustration there about it. the war in poverty happened began, I guess you could technically say under FDR and has carried on for multiple years. Um, and still in 2021, the American populace does not understand what a social safety net is, the importance of it, the um, outline factors that impact families that are necessary for development. Just like you mentioned, the importance that children children ages zero to six don't get a say in a lot of things. And for a superintendent whose sole job is to manage a school district and ensure that children have well-being, has the nerve to say that free food is a a social program that children shouldn't be relying on. It's just frustrating, but none of those are my actual tangent. Um, this weekend I went to see Candyman. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Um, but my tangent is one and it caused a lot of stir Two, I'm turning into the, um, what is her name? Tori, Tori. Oh, what is her name? I don't know. <laughs> Tony Tory. Oh, Tommy Laren. Tommy Laren. Thank uh, you. I'm turning into the Tommy Laren here with all of these, the way my tangents have gone. Not in like the far right way, just in like the way I rant. Um, anyway, this weekend <laughs> I went to see um, Candyman. I'm very torn. Great movie. Obviously, there's been some um, implication, implications and arguments specific to the fact that um, a lot of people are speaking to Jordan Pills, 
contributions here when he was not a director, he's just a producer. Um, this African-American director who has not gotten credit because the American populace likes to look at males before you look at females. Um, that's still aside. Also ironic because I made mention in our earlier segment around um, scandal and the influence it had in bringing African-Americans into um, the mainstream, if you will, breaking away from BET and breaking away from our Tyler Perry's. But in all actuality, I want to return to the 2000 segregation of entertainment. I say this because... Oh, boy. (laughs) Candyman had a hugely influential message. It spoke a lot to a lot of things, and uh, the story that was left at the end was incredible. Uh, was incredibly impactful. I'll just put it like that. If we're being completely transparent, no offense to any of my Caucasian listeners here, but I can almost assume that you did not watch the original Candyman. You would be correct. <laughs> You have no context to or relevance to the story behind Candyman and why for a lot of African-Americans. Yes, um, black cult classic. Yes, it's a black cult classic. And a lot of African-Americans were nervous with the fact that it was being recreated, not because of fear that it wasn't going to be done well, but because that movie genuinely created some sense of trauma. And the the storyline carries that very well and very artfully and does a great job of separating itself from being a remake or a sequel to being a very separate entity that relates back to the movie. But all of this said, I went to see this movie in Meridian, Idaho. I am. Did you go to the village? Yes. I went to the village. I did not. What? I got there way too late. Um, I literally walked in as the opening credits were getting ready to play. Cut it real close. Um, I'm one of maybe two black people that exist in Meridian, Idaho. That is an exaggeration, but not by much. I'm one of like 12. Um, (laughs) I'm torn with this movie because I'm very over the fact that for black entertainment to exist in the mainstream, it has to be centered in trauma. I'm very over the fact that we no longer can go and watch films that have us as leads that speak to the the african-american culture without it having to be advocacy right but also owning the fact that and i appreciate torrance you having this as our main segment entertainment has always been a great means of advocacy for african-americans strange fruit one of the greatest songs in my personal opinion um was written because people were not paying attention to the fact that African-Americans were hanging from trees. And uh, an artist was able to take this space and say, I'm going to sing this song in my cabarets, be crucified by the FBA, be arrested by the uh, FBA, FBI, be arrested by the FBI, because this message matters more. Um, and I'm torn because in this movie, the the Caucasian members were just there for the scares. They saw this as a horror movie. They, they went there for the jumps. They didn't understand the historical perspective. They didn't understand the context. They didn't understand um, why the last two scenes genuinely had me curl up because it was so impactful. And I think to 
the 2000s when you could watch the Wayans brothers, you watch my wife and kids, you watched, um, uh, what's the thing that's in the Jamie Foxx show living, um, single living color. Like there was a clear segregation in media in entertainment between the white predominant shows and the black predominant shows. And there was a safe space in my personal opinion, back when BT awards were worth the time, um, to watch. And I, I've been very torn and very, very frustrated. I even had a conversation with another friend who um, went on a rant about how they are annoyed that um, Candyman took the advocacy route, that movies are supposed to be about escapism and are supposed to allow for people to break away. And they're, I'm not giving anything away here. Their focus here was, I don't understand why they focus on gentrification, which was not the focus of the movie. If you paid attention, there was a very clear, important part to BIPOC folk across the country. And it's that piece and it's that component that has just really left me unwell and left me unsettled and, and leads me to the space or, or thinking about like your Kendrick Lamar's with the Grammys, right? Uh, does there need to be a bigger protest from the African-Americans in the room to understand that representation no longer is doing the job that we wanted it to. We can protest the Grammys. We can protest the Oscars and say, we're putting out good content and we're doing what's necessary, but you're not listening to our message. You're not listening to our people. You're not caring about what we're saying. And for that reason, we don't need your your recognition. We're going to show up to the BET Awards again. We're going to use these platforms to show and, and, and give some sense of, um, importance to them. But then also I just watched the Whitney Houston documentary where the BET awards booed her the first time she won an award because they felt she was too white. So I'm just in this weird conflict and this was a longer rant than I thought it was going to be a longer tangent, but that, that has been the center focus of my frustration lately of entertainment as it relates to representation, but also as it relates to black artists specifically. I mean, if you have anything, you can add it. I mean, I, it's not that I don't have anything. It's that like, I don't have anything like definitive, right? Like I understand the point that you're making. I, I don't disagree. I, and, and rather I'll say, I agree with the point that you're making. I don't know that I agree like with the segregation of art. I actually just think that this highlights like the issue is that like, yes, okay, now we're making some headway on representation, but representation actually means nothing mm -hmm. if it's not full representation. We're talking about right, the representation we've achieved now is um, largely, okay, can we can we plug in a black person here? Can we plug in a Hispanic person here, an immigrant here, refugee there, right? Like, but are we telling their story? Are we representing their story? Are we allowing them to tell their own? Do Are we not intimidated by what that means for our larger society and our larger narrative as a country when we let them tell their story and it is disruptive to the um, formula that you've created for entertainment. And I also think that when we're talking about uh, like ab about films and television specifically, I think that often we forget that yes, it's for entertainment, but this is art. Mm -hmm. This is art as a, as, as, as artists are often expected to have something to say um, through their paintings, through uh, other things that like film and acting is a part of art and is a part of having something to say that means something. And it's not just blowing up shit and jumping off cliffs like an action movie. Sometimes it's having a really tough, uncomfortable conversation. And so I, I, I believe, I believe that uh, I agree with you there. I just, 
think that not having the answer is fine right now, but being not being okay with where we're at is also okay. As long as we now create more Django Unchained, I'm probably content. Well, that's our show. Um, follow us on Instagram at dangerously underscore likely or email us at dangerously likely at gmail.com um, with topics or questions you would like us to cover or future topics that you want us to bring into a show. Be sure wherever you're listening to hit the subscribe button and get notifications for any new episodes we have. I'm Terrell. I'm Caleb. And I'm Torrance. And we're dangerously likely to see you next week. Thank you.